Angular Material 2. All right. So, and how it relates to Star Wars. No, that's no, our topic. That's the one thing we're not allowed <laughs> to mention on this the show is Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. If you mention Star Wars and... And we'll just have to talk all about Star Wars. Some people are unable to control themselves. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, the makers of Kendo UI. Kendo UI integrates seamlessly with both AngularJS 1.x and 2.0. It provides everything you need to integrate with AngularJS out of the box, bindings, component configuration directives, template directives, form validation event handlers, and much more. And yet, Kendo UI tooling does not depend on AngularJS, so if you want to use it with Angular or not, that's totally up to you. You can check it out at kendoui.com. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 84 of Adventures in Angular. On our panel today, we have Ward Bell. Howdy, howdy. And I'm going to be your host. I'm Joe Eames. And we're running on a skeleton crew, but we are running on the core crew. That's all that matters, is that the two important ones are here. And our special guest today, we have Jeremy Elborn. Hello. So, Jeremy, do you want to, like, uh, introduce yourself a little bit, give us some of your background? Uh, Sure. I am a Google engineer on the Angular team. I've been on the Angular team for a little over a year, and I am working on the Angular material components, uh, myself and the the rest of my team. There are four of us now, uh, Google employees, working on Angular material for Angular 2. And before that, I worked on some ads stuff inside of Google, and before that, I worked at some small companies. I'm at least easily confused. There's material design, and then there's the angular flavors of it. And we had Thomas Burleson on here a while back on a previous show. We will link to it. And I'm not sure I understand the connection between all these projects. So maybe you can draw a picture for us. Sure. Well, material design is a visual design and UX specification that came from the designers at Google And it's both a common design language for all of the different Google products, as well as other people who are looking for a design language for their own applications. You find it a lot 
on Android applications, even from companies that aren't Google, like things like Twitter and I'm drawing a blank on other companies that exist, but maybe maybe like Snapchat. But yeah, lots of lots of Android applications use material design and some web apps and the Angular version is an implementation of that specification. So the, the team that put together the specification, they're mostly just designers and uh, UX researchers. And they put together these specifications for different components and how things should behave. But there's not actually any implementations that go along with that. And that is where the different frameworks uh, come in and start implementing the components specified by the designers on their own. And so in Angular, we have uh, our team that works on building these material design components that are to spec. And we put in all of the, the engineering effort for making sure that these components, in addition to following the spec, are accessible and internationalized and performant. So what's the readiness of these components? What's going to be in the components? How, how are they going to sort of drift towards us over time? Uh, how, does, how does this work? So are you talking about the Angular 2 version? Yeah, because I'm pretty Angular 2 focused. Uh, so yes, the, the Angular 1 version is already at its 1.0, and, that, and that's moving along. Uh, we're working on uh, getting pretty close to a 1.1 now. And the Angular 2 version... Uh, we are working on getting an early alpha, an alpha zero, very soon. We have just a couple more components that we're waiting on to finish. And once that, once they're ready, we're going to be doing an alpha zero. It's not going to be all of the components we're going to do, for sure. But we are definitely going to be uh, making it available as early as possible so that people can start trying it out and giving us feedback now, what does alpha mean to you? Alpha means that it's in a state where people can pull it down and start playing with it. I wouldn't say it is production ready. <laughs> and I would not say the APIs are stable. But it will give people a chance to try it out. Hmm. Are you expecting that, a long we'll, alpha we'll, phase? Or, or are you expecting it to move rather crisply to something that we can put in our apps? Uh, we're hoping to move through the alpha phase and get to a beta before too long. Uh, we do have a decent amount of components to write, but we're working on some infrastructure that we think will help really keep us at a high velocity so that we're able to, to deliver something that is more stable and more complete uh, before too long. But we don't have any particular time in mind for that yet. That is the Google way. It's ready when it's ready kind of thing. Which is, mm -hmm. It's tough to plan for out here, uh, but we're getting kind of used to it. If you were to talk about the handful that you feel reasonably confident that we'll be playing with relatively soon, okay, so what would that handful what, of components be? So the, the very soon Alpha Zero should be checkbox, radio button, button, side nav, and cards. Uh, oh, and circular progress. <laughs> The circular progress came from uh, one of our 20% contributors uh, at Google. You know, at least we'll be able to see a spinner. And, yeah. and, and no app really can go anywhere without a spinner. Yeah, That's right. And uh, then uh, before too long, you will definitely be expanding that with some more of the components and also some core foundation that the components are built on top of. 
that will be useful for other people that want to build component libraries. Can I talk to you about two that I'm worried about that you didn't mention? Uh, what are you worried about? <laughs> two, two, one of them is the lowly combo box. Uh, oh, so that is definitely coming eventually. Uh, it's one of the more complicated components. So it's currently blocked on a couple of pieces of that foundation I mentioned earlier. Uh, what I'm working on presently is a piece of infrastructure for dealing with how pop-ups slash floating panels are, are used. And this covers everything from menus and selects and autocompletes and tooltips and dialogues. Anytime you need to have some floating element that goes over some over the rest of the page, and it will be this this common piece of infrastructure that you can use to to build all of those things and give you reusable logic for positioning and making sure the things stay on the screen and making sure that you can do focus wrapping or focus trapping. Uh, and then we also have another one of the team members, Hans, is working on a design for how we're going to approach input style components, things like input, autocomplete, select, uh, because we want to make sure that we are avoiding a problem that we encountered a bit in the Angular 1 version, which is we would have different people approach different components their own way. Uh, like someone would work on the input, someone would work on select, a third person would work on date picker, and you would accidentally end up with these components that are each different form inputs, but don't quite line up when you put them in one form line. <laughs> so we're, we're currently working on a design to make sure we keep all of those things consistent. Lining things up is one of the challenges, isn't it? Yes. And so as a, as a child of those two pieces of work on our graph, the select will come into play. I don't want to get into the, the semantics of what's the difference between like a select versus a combo box versus an autocomplete. <laughs> uh, right. Well, I think for most of us, it's like we want to drop it down and get pick one. But I'm sure it gets, you know, the more you think about it, the more complicated it gets. OK, so actually I had two. Uh, let me give you another what, seemingly simple one. A modal box like say, can I save or can I leave? Oh yeah, modal modal dialogues and alerts and confirms, those are definitely coming. As soon as I am able to finish my work on this uh, this overlay piece, as I'm calling it, it should be very soon after that that the, the dialogue is unblocked. Great. And, and that overlay stuff is what I'm working on right now. Yeah, I figured it must be related. Um, yeah, so the, the dialogue will be the very first thing I make after that as the, look, it actually works. Yeah, yeah. And, and then the real tough one, the one that I don't know anybody gets right, which is the date picker. Oh, yes. So the date picker is actually something that's much further out. It is probably going to be a post-beta component. So, Jeremy, this is what I would like to know. I'd like to actually surface a conversation we had a while back, but I think it is interesting, is how does somebody get involved with Angular 2 material? Oh, that's a very good question. We are really looking forward to having more community contributors. Uh, right now, maybe not the like absolute best time to just uh, drop in uh, and start contributing because we're still hammering out some of the rough patches in our infrastructure. Uh, we have our unit tests running, but we don't quite have our end-to-end -end tests running yet. And we're also working on a piece of infrastructure for running screenshot diff tests. This is where every commit 
will generate screenshots that reflect the changes you have made and compare those to the previous version and make sure that if there is some visual difference in these screenshots, then it's intentional that you can, you'll perform some action to say, yes, I intended to make these changes and not, no, I accidentally made all buttons render rotated 90 degrees. <laughs> and so we're, we're working on getting those pieces in place. Once they are, things will be a lot more stable and friendly for people to start contributing. But there's also things people should know. They should be fully informed before they start contributing. We do the same thing that the Angular framework itself does in terms of writing our code in TypeScript and then transpiling a Dart version out of it, uh, which means our code has to be written in such a way that it supports this Dart transpilation. And that can be somewhat off-putting for some people because you end up writing in a subset of what is supported in TypeScript and what is supported in Dart. And a lot of people would really just prefer to write TypeScript. That makes contributing a little more difficult, uh, admittedly a little less accessible. Uh, and we're, we're working on improving it over time by trying to make enhancements to the TypeScript to Dart conversion tool as we go, but it's a slow process. And beyond that, we also just have, you know, coding style, uh, coding style standards. And obviously we always ask for unit tests and we'll be asking for end to end tests once people start contributing. Uh, so it's good for anybody who's wanting to contribute to to be aware of the scope of work that they're they're trying to get into. <laughs> you should go into sales because that I'm so like that's really <laughs> super easy. Like sign me up. Like Dart version of TypeScript, bro. I'm in. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think honestly, have we considered having actually the Dart people getting like those three guys together and like having them basically convert our TypeScript into Dart so that, that they can get what they want. Uh, we, we do actually have a, a very good relationship with the Dart team at Google, and they've helped out a lot over the development lifetime of Angular 2. Jeremy, that was profound in his diplomacy. <laughs> I, it was, it I, think, was I think Brad Green is having proud Papa moment right now. Bro, you nailed it. You got the You're in. I well imagine um, that documentation would be an area where people could contribute without having to know as much about uh, the mechanics of your requirements. Is that? Oh yes, yes. The documentation would be a great area for people to contribute. We currently don't have any uh, real documentation other than README files in GitHub. <laughs> we will be. I see what you did there. Well played as well. So. Go documentation. Uh, yes. Carry on, Jeremy. Uh, and we will be, of course, building documentation site and document generation, uh, similar to how it works in Angular Angular. But we haven't gotten to that point yet because we don't have enough things to document. We, we're putting more our efforts on actually having the components first. <laughs> so when are we getting angularmaterial.io so that I can go and write my Angular Material documentation missive? my epic sweeping saga, how to actually work with these wonderful components. Uh, I don't have a when yet, uh, other than sometime in the not very distant future. <laughs> <laughs> Man, alive. If you, sure. you want to talk, talk specifics more. about building something, then we should have a, 
a more one-on-one -on -one conversation or uh, open up an issue up on GitHub saying, I'm ready to work. I'm actually just going to go register AngularMaterial.io, and you know what? I'm just going to take that initiative right now. Well, the documentation is actually almost certainly going to live under Angular.io, uh, under a, a different section of the site, probably a subdomain. Whoa, AngularMaterial.io is available. Would I be like immoral if I actually bought that right now? No, you're fine. Wow, that's so tempting. Joe, do you want to buy it? Ward? Okay. No, no. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Hold them just... for ransom. See how it goes. That's it. Do you know what? Because I know I'm going to get me some of that Google money. This is what happens when I come to the podcast late. I have to make <laughs> up for lots of time. by <laughs> being super chatty. So currently, because I love Angular 2, and that's what I try to do all the time, but I'm in the void because I don't have Angular Material 2 yet, that I'm using Angular Material Lite. So I know we kind of maybe have touched upon this while I was away, but somebody in my position right now where I want to do Angular 2, I want the goodness of material design, what do I do in the interim? What are some practical, tactical, strategic things that I can do to prepare myself for Angular 2 material that is coming sometime, now mentioning dates, in the future? Yes. What I have been mentioning to people is that Material Design Lite is a probably a very good uh, solution for that in the, in the short term. It gives you uh, a basic set of components that don't have any dependencies on a particular framework that you can, you, know, you should be able to wrap up into Angular 2 components and, and use. Now, because they're not written in Angular, they won't work as well as like first-class citizens in the, as in the platform. But sure. if you are really, really excited about getting some material design in your application, I think those are a good fit. So I have a so related question. Let's suppose I'm kind of into the, the material design I, philosophy. I want my application to look like that. I'm getting some components from you. Maybe I'm getting some from somebody else. But, you know, I got to write my own stuff to sort of fill in the gaps. And one, I don't want my application to look like a ransom note written in <laughs> So, So is there a strategy for preserving the overall thematic uh, look, even as I'm slowly integrating different solutions to my templating right. challenge. So you want to you wanna stay within the spirit of the specification. Is there uh -huh. an easy way to do that? How do I stay in the spirit? Like, can I take some CSS that you got s hanging around? I mean, you know, pra as a practical matter, how do I stay productively in the, in the spirit? Yeah, so for Angular Material, we will have some SaaS styles that will be consumable by the rest of the world that will provide pieces that are really convenient for building your own material design stuff. So the color palettes, the shadows, the animation curves, and other pieces of like style definition like that will be reusable. As well as uh, the way we're doing theming will also be uh, something you can use. So you can take the same approach to theming your own components and different parts of your application. So that will help. Uh, the components themselves are all built such that they are following the spirit of the material design spec, if not the exact wording and what's given by the specification. And any other component libraries that build material design components should mostly be doing the same. So they should 
work well together. Uh, as for the rest of your application, it depends on your your designer's eye, I suppose, to to really make things work well together. I, I'm personally not a, a extremely design savvy person. I build things based on what our, our UX and our visual designers put together. So it's it's hard for me to say from a design standpoint what you should do uh, other than read the spec and try to internalize it. That's a fruitful area for some, maybe for the community to help teach us how to how to stay on board certainly something that I would want to do. And I'd have the same concern if I was writing all in Bootstrap. I need to know how to keep my application looking like one person had an idea what it should look like. Yeah. And, and one of the things we will do is put together some off-the-shelf application templates that you'll be able to uh, start with and say, like, oh, I have you know my basic material design style application. It has a toolbar, it has a side nav, it has some tabs here. And I'll just be able to take that and fill the rest of my application in inside the holes. So uh, different different templates like that are definitely something we plan on doing to make the whole process a little bit easier. I was fortunate enough to see the forthcoming animation tooling and, well, not the tooling, but the, the language that Matthias is working on and probably will be out by the time this show airs. I take it that you're working with the animation group and making sure that we can uh, make things behave in that manner? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, so it's primarily uh, Matthias on the Angular team who's working on animations, and we are working closely with him to make sure that what he's working on should play nicely with the, with the kinds of animations that we need to do. Uh, one of our team members, uh, Robert Messerly, has worked pretty closely with Matthias on the design for ng-animate 2 and they think it's going to to work really well for the material both the material design cases that we're working on as well as the animation needs for the rest of the world uh, Jeremy uh, this is kind of tangential but uh, have you been keeping track on of uh, Microsoft fabric uh, that's not actually something I've really looked at so I just think it's an interesting parallel that Google has Material and Microsoft has Fabric, which you know sound very similar, obviously Material and Fabric. But I, I obviously it's not something you're expert you're you've seen much of. I have personally haven't either. But I think this is a, a very interesting thing that um, it's only been the last few years that these big companies have said, hey, we'd like to you know Google's Material is not just hey, this is how we're going to do stuff at Google, but here's a great way for everybody to do design, right? If you want to take this, we're opening sourcing it, essentially. If you want to take this and make your de- use this for your design, this is a great way to use design, and we're thinking about lots of things that maybe people haven't thought of before. And now Microsoft's sort of following suit with their own flavor, of course, which is a very Microsoft thing to do. I just I find that to be very interesting. Well, I think it's a, that's happening. I think it's a very natural progression for companies like Google and Microsoft who in general are really trying to push the web forward. And one of the things that a lot of people can have a hard time with is like how do you approach the design of your your applications or your websites? Is there like we have frame engineering frameworks like Angular and React for how to how to structure these applications, but until very recently we didn't have any frameworks for design language for how do you how do you structure these applications? And now that this is coming about, I think it's a, a really good thing for the web in general, and we're going to see more of it in the future. Hey, this and, is Brad yeah. Green. I'm podcast bombing Jeremy right now. 
Um, oh no, he. Hi, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy didn't know I was going to walk in on him. But we I love Brad Green. Oh. <laughs> hey, I have something to say. So we actually, Jules on our team has been in contact with the Fabric folks over at Microsoft, and and we, you know we love the work they're doing. I, you know, one of the one of the goals of Jeremy's team is to not just create the sweet set of components, but to create the examples for how to do great components in Angular and build some core infrastructure that can be reused by these other look and feel idioms. I don't know, maybe Jeremy, you want to talk about some of the underpinnings you're working on. Uh, are you talking about how, like serving as best practices or some yeah. of the, the infrastructure Be we're Best building? practices and infrastructure, yeah, like the pop-ups and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, so we've already talked about that a little bit before you, you bombed into oh, okay, the room. Okay, good, good. But yeah, we are, we are building a lot of different pieces that the, serve as the foundation for the components. So there was the overlay thing I mentioned earlier. We also have a team member, Kara, who's working on gestures module. Uh, we're working on uh, a common approach for doing form inputs. Uh, we're also working on, in the early stages of thinking about how to, uh, tooling to help people build things responsively. And all of those different pieces, along with uh, like other tooling for doing inter some internationalization utilities and accessibility helpers, all of that together will serve as this like t core component toolkit that anybody will be able to pick up and build components that are maybe on their own brand or maybe following a different design language. And you could build a set of app fabric Angular components on top of that. Nothing in it is specific to material design. And the, the second part of what Brad was asking about is we do want the, the material components we're building to serve as examples for the whole community as the, as the best practice of this is how you build Angular components, this is how you do like a high quality set of components, a component library. And that involves more than just coding style and, and how you organize your code. It's also about uh, a little bit about process as well in terms of having unit tests and end-to-end -end tests and screenshot diff tests and performance tests and some other things too. <laughs> it would be really great to know how to test this. And, and as you say, those diffs where you put the images against each other and it just pops out at you somehow that they're different. That would be cool. I have no idea how to do those things. And you think you, you can teach us how to do those things? Yeah, that's the dream. Uh, so currently our, our team member Rob is working on getting this working in our own repo. And moving forward from there is going to be working with hopefully some people in the community to build a, like a common tool that anyone could use on GitHub before doing screenshot diff tests for Angular applications. There's a couple of different projects out there already, and none of them are like exactly uh, what we wanted for Angular Material, so we're going to be trying to work with some folks to make something that the entire Angular community can use. Is this where I start slow clapping? Because that sounds amazing. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> I'll take all of it. I think we're just processing this, so just <laughs> 30 seconds to... Understand the implications of this global picture that we painted us. Man, brave new world. Yes. If you're okay with another like topic switch, there's one other thing I was kind of curious about. Um, architectural wise, as we implement, as you implement Angular, uh, sorry, Material for Angular 2, is the architecture on the consumer side matter? So, for example, with Angular 2, I could just use typical objects. I could use observables. I could use immutable data structures. Does what I'm doing on my side have anything to do with 
how I use the Angular material components for Angular 2. I don't think it should affect it in any way. The, the APIs of the components are going to, for the most part, be relatively straightforward. We might get into interesting situations once we start working on components that accept uh, collections of data and whether or not we want to deal with those uh, accepting observables or making optimizations around uh, having immutable status. Also, when we get to the virtual scroll cases, we're, we're going to have to do have a sort of contract set up with the backend data structure. So that that's coming too. Yes, that's something that's that's definitely not far off our minds, but. I, I think that for the most part, the components should just work with whatever kinds of data you're using. That's what I figured. I figured you guys are pretty smart guys. I would like to second that emotion. In fact, my pick for the week is Jeremy because he's a smart guy. It's <laughs> a good pick. Yes. All right. Well, I think by far the biggest thing is, do we talk about where people can start messing around, where they can go to start messing around and learning Angular material for Angular 2? Well, so there isn't a place yet uh, because we haven't had our, our initial release. But sometime very soon, there is going to be our Alpha Zero release. And along with that, there's going to be instructions for installing and using it. And that, the announcement for that will be coming on, I assume, Twitter and maybe our blog. I'm not sure yet. Also, it'll be posted on angularmaterial.io. <laughs> you know, I so, think one of the changes we're, we're going to be making to the Angular.io site is building some of these sub-product sites, and Material's going to have a prominent space there. Yeah, we, we mentioned that earlier. Awesome. Lucas mentioned that he's just going to buy angularmaterial.io. Dude, buy, right, buy it right up, now. get the license plate, get a tattoo, it, it, whatever you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get actually a small tattoo across the uh, my back, and it's going to just say angularmaterial.io. And then I'll probably I'll get never a, see it, hopefully. Probably a tattoo of Jeremy on like my shoulder. And so when I actually flex my delt, like his mouth opens and like like he roars like a lion. Okay. <laughs> Do we um I I had a different question. <laughs> Not quite about the tattoo world, but then that's you just edit into comp, I'll show everybody. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. So I'm a developer, right? And I don't know. A whole lot about this design world. I just want it to look good. Um, I don't even know what that means, but I know that I should. So how do you speak to me about what I should know about material design or any of these frameworks, but particular uh, Angular material? What should I be thinking about? How do you open my eyes when you talk to some, somebody about this? Uh, so if you are just in the business of building something simple and you want it to look good, quote unquote, then I think using a, a component library like Angular Material is a good first place to start, especially once we have our, our set of pre-built application templates that you'll be able to use as a starting point. Uh, that'll put you in a, a good place to move on from. Uh, however, for the rest of your question, I'm afraid I don't really have a great answer because I think that the real answer is that it, it really does take a little bit of design sense to make something like look good, quote unquote, in the long run, especially as it grows in complexity. Uh, having someone who, who understands the art of visual design is not really something that you can replace. It takes an expert. 
Yeah, I know. It's a little bit like asking, so how do I become a programmer? I don't know anything about coding, <laughs> but I bet there's got to be something I can load that will write my software for me. It's kind of that kind of question, wasn't it? Yeah, I suppose. Too long to become a programmer, and that's my favorite one. And if you're looking for resources about how to become a better designer, I'm afraid I, I don't have anything off the top of my head, although I could go looking for it. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of I'm, – I'm suddenly realizing just how stupid a question that was, but how much <laughs> – like, not only is it like me to ask a stupid question like that, but, but how much we do that in, in our profession. We think it should be – you know, our stuff is hard, but that stuff should just – I should be able to take it off the shelf and just throw it at my app and everything will be well. And I keep thinking that your library or anybody's library is going to come do that for me. It, it can help, and it can definitely get you started. But yeah, there's no there's no real replacement for a talented designer, just like there's no real replacement for a talented programmer. Oh well, Lucas, there goes your future. Mm-hmm. I'm out of the. Sorry, Lucas. You know what? I don't need your badge. I don't need your talent badge. I'm just going to write code no matter what. I still pick Jeremy right. for my pick because he's smart. <sighs> Speaking of which, if we don't have any more questions. Now it's probably a good time to wrap this up and move on to picks. Sure, sure. So Ward, how about you? You want to start us off? Sure. I'll start with a movie and then a piece of software that I saw last night. The movie I saw earlier, it's called Meru, and it's the story of three elite climbers tackling a first ascent of a very tough mountain in the Himalayas. Now, it sounds like those movies are a dime a dozen. What's interesting here is that it spends so much time on, important time on their lives, their backstories, the hardships that led to it, to give a better insight as to what goes on in the mind of somebody who does such a crazy thing. So uh, it's pretty gripping documentary, did well at Sundance last year, highly recommended, called Meru. The Second thing is something that I saw last night. It's tembler.net, T-E-M-B-L-O-R.net, which I will show, put the link in the show notes. It's an earthquake site. Now, I don't know about where you live. Maybe they're fracking in your neighborhood and you want to know if those little swarm of earthquakes are going to, what they're going to do to your property values. But Tembler is pretty cool way, uh, certainly in California, to see what's going on with earthquakes and how they might affect your life. And you, you can even sort of put your address in there or address of people you know and see what perils are lying await for them. And it's beautifully executed with uh, fascinating overlays. And uh, I highly recommend it, as well as the talk by um, Russ Stein, Russ Stein, who was the uh, geophysicist who, who was presenting it at a, a speaker series last night. So go check it out, tembler.net. Awesome. Lucas, how about you? Yeah, so I have two picks. So my first pick is just observables. I am in love with them. RxJS, they were really hard for me to kind of wrap my mind around. But the more that I begin to understand streams and how you can combine streams to do really insanely powerful things, it just blows my mind just the possibilities of the things that you can do. For instance, uh, one thing that Rob Wormald and I worked on the other day was actually using NGRX and taking two observables from two different stores and then using observable.combinelatest to combine them into a computed observable that you can then consume in your template using the async pipe, and it just renders. And it's just insanely powerful how you can start to take observables 
combine them and come up with a custom computed observable from various models. Uh, really, really neat blog post uh, coming on that very shortly. Second is a talk by Evan Saplicki, I believe his name is, uh, the guy who created Elm, and it's called Let's Be Mainstream. And he excellent talk. It's a great talk, and he's just talking about you know kind of how to make things approachable, and you know take something like functional programming and do it in a way that you know kind of the common folk can kind of wrap their mind around and get going. But I think what was most impressive to me is that you know he's created this amazing framework and just kind of you know his humility his graciousness and his ability to articulate a thought and just even i think the empathy that he just has for people learning elm was really inspiring to me and and so you know it kind of raised the bar for me about how i think that everybody who you know is behind a framework or representing some technology how they should approach people coming to it and i think it's i think it's a really really good talk Oh, by the way, um, Meru is an amazing documentary, so a huge plus one on that. It's excellent. Fantastic. Uh, I myself, I'm just going to have one pick, and that is the book Cataclysm by Brandon Satterson. It's the final book in his Reckoner series, which was an amazing book. Good wrap-up to the series. I didn't, I didn't like it quite as much as uh, the first two books, but I thought it was an excellent. Nonetheless, truly enjoyed it, ripped right through it. So highly recommend that series. I just read that myself. Oh, did you? When did that come out? Uh, two weeks ago. Oh, I'm two weeks behind. You are two weeks behind. You just did the uh, that other Mistborn one. I just finished that one. Yep. Yep. That was oh, pretty yeah. rad. I know what I I'm going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think Jeremy, we love Brandon Sanderson here. Oh yeah, yes, me do. too. Jeremy, how about you? What, are you, what picks All you right, got for So us? I've got three because I I'm constantly always over overflowing with recommendations. Uh, the first is a, a TV show that I started watching on my uh, my flight to New York, where I am right now, visiting. Uh, it's called The Expanse, and it's on sci-fi. I read the books uh, a while ago, and they're very excellent books. And there's now a uh, television show on sci-fi. Uh, very, very good production value. If you liked the style of Battlestar Galactica... Uh, years ago then this one i think you you would also like and has a very good very good plot very good characters uh i'm liking it so far uh the second is a a neat fun kind of game called flexbox froggy it is a a series of 24 levels of having you write display flex-based rules in order to align frogs onto their appropriate lily pads and it's an interesting way of learning the Flex system as it exists today. Uh, it's very fun. Definitely try that out. And then my third thing is something that is probably a little non-standard, but it's Fisker's Titanium Shears. I don't exactly remember the the model on them, but they're essentially a pair of scissors that are titanium-coated, so they stay very sharp. Uh, they come apart at the middle, so you can use one half of the scissor to do things like open packages or stab packages to open them. And they also have like a wire cutter and a bottle opener on them. And they're, they're in my like kitchen counter drawer and I use them constantly. They're incredibly useful. <laughs> and that's all for me. Awesome. Well, thanks Jeremy and Brad, our special surprise guest for being on the show. It was a 
it's a good show, and uh, I'm sure we're all uh, really excited to have the opportunity to see Angular material in action with Angular 2. It'll be excellent. Yes, I'm excited, too. <laughs> I'll bet. Uh, a lot of hard work. Yep. Want to get my mitts on it. Yep. All right, and thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today.